Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander. Hi, this is Charlie's mum, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And this week, this special week, brought to you in association with Kay Anderson Chivers. That was Kay's voice that you heard in her intro. And Kay, as she explained in her intro, is the mum of Charlie the Ferret, one of our very favourite Hashtag Tennis Podcast Pets, David Law. Yeah, and there are so many of them. And uh, yeah, basically, um, Charlie has his own Twitter account. And um, and I've been following his his journey. And Instagram, in, in fact. I, I, do, I do get my social media Following mixed his up. journey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Charlie, the, Charlie the Ferret is a Tennis Podcast listener. And uh, we're very grateful for the support given us to by Kay Anderson Shivers. Thank you very much. We are. Can I suggest, Kay, that maybe Charlie considers trying his hand at tennis predicting? Because um, animals, it turns out, are quite good at that. So, um, yeah, just just a thought to see if if Charlie's got it in him to, I don't know, predict the winner of the French Open or something like that. But anyway, we lo- we, we love him regardless of his predicting skills and uh, we're very happy to have his mum on our intro this week David Law uh, of BT Sport fame and uh, BBC Radio and all the rest of it joins me of course David how's your week been? Oh it's been glorious glorious weather at the weekend in the UK Um, uh, even you seem jolly so it must have been good and uh, yeah I was watching and listening or most specifically listening to uh, the Masters Golf last night and getting hammered by various people on social media about my comparison so. uh, of Sergio Garcia, who With... had turned pro 17 years before he oh, finally won a sake. major We're tournament. We're not doing this, David. And it's, Goran Ivanisevic, who... 14 years after turning pro, finally won his first major. Both Yeah, but it's a completely different sport. Those years, in the context of the sport, those years don't mean the same thing. It is an absurd comparison. No, it isn't. It's absurd. It's a a very, very good one. In terms of feel, you have two hugely popular, popular sports people who everybody assumed time had passed and would never actually win a major title. But lo and behold, Goran Ivanisevic walked through the gates of Wimbledon and managed to win the tournament and 
Lo and behold, the Masters, such a similar tournament to Wimbledon in its own right, and Sergio Garcia. Well, because there's grass there. No, because of prestige and tradition and and all the rest of it. I'm right. I, I find it truly preposterous. I, I, the extent to which I would agree is only that there's a certain amount of emotion and sentimentality uh, wrapped up in Sergio Garcia's victory, which I... I think is wonderful and I partook in that as well which there was also uh, with Goran but that for me is where the comparison That's ends all you and need. I'm presenting so we're moving That's straight all you on need. Romanticism we'll, just is all say, you need. we'll just say that don't defend it with ridiculous statistics such as uh, Goran Ivanovic finally winning through after three runners up appearances in the Wimbledon final and Sergio Garcia having four seconds in major tournaments before finally getting through such similarities reign I'm re- we've started off the podcast on a really bum note here because I'm genuinely annoyed. Excellent. Gen- genuinely annoyed. He was 40 to 1, Sergio Garcia. He was a genu- he's the number 11 in the world. I- I'm not even engaging in this. It's like arguing with a child about whether Santa Claus exists. This is absurd. Let's talk about the Davis Cup, David. Let's talk about the Davis Cup because <laughs> tennis has been happening. Tennis. Uh, oh, we yeah. like tennis, don't we? <laughs> it's, it's good tennis, isn't it? It's much more energetic for a start. I mean, you know. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's not just sort of walking. Except the way I play. In orange trousers. I do a lot of There's walking. a lot of orange trousers at the Masters, weren't there? I find it really hard to take them seriously when they're wearing orange trousers. Anyway, uh, I'm going to do it in the order that they are on the Davis Cup website rather than uh, being British and myopic. Uh, so we're not going to deal with the France GB tie first. We're going to talk about Belgium first. That... David nation, I mean David in terms of David and Goliath. Um, I'm all for a David They're amazing, nation. aren't they, Belgium? They're amazing in the Davis Cup. They're into the semi-finals again. Yeah, and it, it would be... They're, they're probably the least talked about of the four remaining nations, aren't they? And, and you know, I agree with you. They're fantastic achievement. Their consistency says it all. They keep getting to the latter stages. They came up just short against Great Britain. They they probably won't win it this year, but be a great story. They'll keep they trying, they, won't they? Yeah, and and, uh, and they might. That's the thing. It's um it's against Australia for them next, and and I don't know. Goffan is now, although he's he's ranked just outside the top ten at the moment. He he he's starting to feel like a top ten player. He, I mean, he's been inside what just I think just for about a week, hasn't he? But he he he's somebody who kind of never lets you down. He always moves through a tennis draw and I like I like that I've got a re- lot of respect for him especially because physically he he isn't an imposing kind of physique at all is he and yet he just no that's a very kind way it. of putting it I mean pound for pound he's you know he's top three in the world isn't he really David Goffin. so uh, he won both of his singles rubber Steve Darcy he won his uh, singles rubber against Paolo Lorenzi and uh, the Italians won the doubles. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to count dead rubbers because there was a lot of... Um, this weekend, I would say, David, wasn't a brilliant advert for dead rubbers in Davis Cup. I think would be 
fair to say. Uh, and we'll come on to that specifically regarding the GB France tie. But yeah, there was another victory for it. ended up being 3-2, but I think in real terms, we'll call it 3-1 uh, for Belgium in that tie. And as you say, they will now play Australia, who, as I correctly predicted, David, um, beat... The United States of America, pretty handily, I would say. Again, if we discount the dead rubber, which John Isner uh, won for the United States, they beat them 3-1. The doubles uh, tie, the doubles match was the only one that the Americans got on the board. Nick Kyrgios, obviously the hero. He won both of his singles rubbers in straight sets over Isner and Query. But Jordan Thompson... Jordan Thompson stealing the limelight from Nick Kyrgios with a four-set win over Jack Sock. That was impressive stuff from the Aussies, wasn't it? It was. And, and, you know, I feel like it's taken a little bit of time for Leighton Hewitt to really get under the skin of this Australian team. He was unable to do it last year. This year, a year under the belt, a year of getting inside these guys' heads and engendering that spirit. And he... It matters more to him, Davis Cup success and participation and and doing it for the nation's country colours than than anything else I think he ever did in his career. And he's fostering that now within within the rest of the team. And and you know what Davis Cup does when it's really played well and when it's good, when it works is is it makes certain players play better than they normally would. It, it creates results that you just wouldn't get the rest of the year and I'm not convinced you would get Jordan Thompson beating Jack Sock in the the majority of the run-of-the-mill ATP events and and that that environment produced a performance out of Jordan Thompson the likes of which he may never produce again I mean I'm sure he's you know he's a good player but seriously that is a heck of a win against a guy who's who's knocking on the door of the top 10 in the world and Jack Sock kind of the opposite to some some degree I mean I I think he he's perfectly capable of of playing good Davis Cup tennis, but I saw him against Borna Chorich, and and he kind of withered a little last year in that environment. He had a great win over Marin Cilic, though I should should add that same week. But this was a really big one for him. And then Kyrgios, I mean, the two stand by side side by side as stories for me. Jordan Thompson playing out of his skin, and Kyrgios just not letting down. This is the, I keep waiting for him to hit the wall, physically, mentally out of fatigue and and it's not happening and that is again a building block in his journey towards hopefully where he will end up yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how he copes now with coming back to europe for the start of the clay court swing because that's not easy is it just just a quick trip uh back home to australia regardless of what class you're flying in that's not easy to do that, to make that adjustment. I know it probably suits him very well on a number of levels because he does get homesick. He's somebody that's been very open with, you know, the struggles with life on tour away from the tennis. And I'm sympathetic with that. It's not easy for everyone. Um, so I'm sure the the popping home for a bit element of it is uh, is very positive for him. But physically, that's just an, an extra toil on top of the already pretty hard toil that is uh, the ATP World Tour. So that's going to be interesting, I think. But very, very impressive um, from Australia. Yeah, and, and a, a, an incredible moment for Jordan Thompson. And that was how the tie... Um, started off so it really set the tone and and just talking about how um, 
important it is for Leighton Hewitt and for Australians. I mean, I'm, I remember Mark Philippoussis telling me that, that his Davis Cup victories mean more to him than any individual achievement. Um, I think in terms of Australia producing future champions, a Davis Cup and in terms of the profile of tennis in Australia and the popularity of it in a country which is sport-obsessed and in which there are so many rival sports which talented kids could be getting involved in other than tennis or could be choosing at that critical age other than tennis. I think a Davis Cup victory for them would do more for tennis in Australia than any individual win ever could even at the Australian Open I believe I I really do believe that moving on to Rouen that beautiful beautiful Normandy town of Rouen where uh, Monet uh, painted so much of his best work Uh, I'm really trying to rehabilitate my relationship with Rouen after rather um, uh, mistakenly uh, doing it down uh, a few months ago it did look like uh, a delightful place. I saw Sue Barker walking through the streets of Rouen for her intros and it looked just lovely. Not so lovely uh, for the GB Davis Cup team, it has to be said, because barring a, a reasonably valiant effort from, from the doubles chaps, it was a pretty miserable time in France for GB, wasn't it? It, it was. First time that Leon Smith's team has lost in two days and... Uh, I personally thought that it would go to three days, partly because I thought Kyle Edmund might get a win, actually, in that first rubber against Luca Puy, who handled Edmund's game on clay really well. There wasn't actually a huge amount in those first two sets. They very easily could have split those first two sets. That might have changed things. But Puy showed a real strength of character. As much as the talent he's obviously got, I wasn't 100% sure that he would be able to cope with it all and because uh, not everybody can and and he did an excellent job of that dan evans showed that frankly that the surface is just it's just a nightmare for him and uh, jeremy shardy played really well but still you know it, it, evans just looks as though he, he he doesn't really know what you do on clay and that's that's pretty much what he said afterwards the doubles was was also close it was the one time which great britain got a set on the board but there is strength and consistency all the way through that French team, and even with four or five notable dropouts through through various circumstances, injury and lack of form, and in Joe Wilfred Songer's case, coming becoming a dad, that was a very, very good French performance inspired by a captain who has been there and done it both as a player and as a captain twice. He's carried and led France to, to victory on two different occasions. Yannick Noah, somebody that you and I know from the Champions Tour and who has a charisma that is off the charts, really. I think I think the, the British team were quite taken aback by his level of charisma at the opening dinner. The, the 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 opening ceremony that they have in which Noah was was getting the entire room singing along a cappella with him the 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 guy can can have a room in the palm of his hand like nobody I've ever seen he has people sitting there in blazers singing with him I mean <laughs> I don't know anybody else in tennis who could do that yeah, he is. He is a deeply uh, charismatic man, Yannick. No, of course, he's he's actually more famous in France now for being a a singer songwriter, isn't he, than actually for being. I mean, he's obviously still very famous uh, for his tennis achievements, but I believe he's more famous for his musical achievements, which is 
very odd but sort of quite wonderful thought really um yeah we did talk about it going to a third day that tie I'm I was it was a valiant effort by the doubles guys I don't think it was Dom Inglot's best day I think he's gonna be kicking himself a bit obviously he had that backhand put away on set point in the first set which he will very much be kicking himself about it look I mean doubles it's very much teamwork it wasn't all his fault but I'm just pointing out that they did have chances and and perhaps that doubles match could have gone another way on another day but they were still in the position that even if they won that doubles GB by then were in a position where Dan Evans was having to win (laughs) a match against a top 20 player on clay in France in order for GB to win that tie or or to even have a chance of winning that tie and that seemed so desperately unlikely I'm afraid to say and I think probably in Dan's mind by that point after the chastening experience he had uh, in his opening rubber it was probably desperately unlikely as well he just clearly was so uncomfortable I think it's as much to do with his size as it is his style of play because the ball just rears up on him and he doesn't know doesn't know really what to do whether to step in and take it early or or to to wait and hang back and it and he couldn't get into the net in the way that he likes to and he couldn't really make good use of his serve and it was just it was just all wrong for him wasn't it and I I didn't enjoy seeing Dan Evans so so um, at sea, really, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable match to watch. The Kyle Edmund uh, match against Luca Pui, not a terrible performance, certainly for the first couple of sets, obviously um, had those opportunities in the tie break, which it's a real shame that he didn't take that tie break. What was he, 5-2, 4-1, I think. Um, I know John Lloyd in the commentary, but controversial talking point here said, you know, as much as he's full of admiration for Carl Edmund, really likes the guy, admires his talent, all the rest of it. He said he feels he falls away a little too easily in a match, particularly in a five-set match, when he has lost the opening two sets. He felt like the fight ebbed away in that third set in a way that didn't necessarily please him what's your take on that yeah I can see where John's coming from actually and the record would suggest that I I, I think I read a statistic from one of the journalists out there saying that that he's yet to get a set on the board or or when he's two sets to love down and and that is that tells its own story to some degree I, I, I would I don't necessarily think it's lack of fight. I mean, in as much as I think Kyle Edmund has got as good an attitude as just about any young player out there in many ways, I think it's kind of, it's a mental letdown of almost a bit of depression mid-match where he he just gets down, I think. I think he just, I think he finds it hard to, to, to believe that that this is going to turn around. And I think one of the problems is that Kyle Edmund is, is a plan A tennis player. And he put his plan A on the board there against Luca Pui and he went two sets to love down. And I think it becomes quite difficult for him to to know what else to do. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he, he basically needs to, to have one of those situations and fight his way through it because he's a learner, isn't he? He's somebody who gets better with experience. I think he will work it out because physically I think he's, he's getting stronger all the time. He's somebody who's methodical. He's not going to just disappear in terms of 
of going away for, for weeks on end. I, I dare say he'll come out in Monte Carlo next week and, and put in a good performance. You know, he's not somebody who'll have a have a drift like that. But but John's I think John's making a fair point in terms of at the moment, mid-match, if it starts to go against him two sets to love down, uh, yes, I, I, you don't have that confidence that there's a comeback coming. Um, but but that, that may well change in time. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, David, for... <laughs> For a change, uh, we're getting back on track. Can, after can a I just say, start, aren't we? I, I, I found it quite. I found, yeah, I can't believe this agreeing with me. Uh, just a, a, a short point about Dan Evans. I, since the last podcast, uh, read in the, the newspapers, uh, the, the pieces done by people like Simon Briggs in the Telegraph, that that he'd been and the British team had been consulting Tim Henman because of the similarity in styles of games between Evans and Henman about Henman how he conquered clay in 2004 getting to the semi-finals and i mean I, I think it's you know it's perhaps a bit too much of a stretch to think oh here's a tactic go do it you can do it now for a start tim Hemmons obviously a better player than dan evans is but he oh well he is isn't he but at the same time i i think that it takes time years and years of trying it doing it probably to conquer it I remember seeing Tim Henman in 1998 I, I remember standing courtside in Monte Carlo it's my one of my first ever tournament weeks on the ATB circuit and I, I thought I'll go out and watch Tim Henman play on clay against Galo Blanco and Tim looked almost as now now coach of um Karen Kachanov. Oh, really? Is that right? Oh, that's interesting. I, I think so. That. And Medvedev, actually. Yeah. Well, and, he, and he, he, they both trained with him in. in and he was part of the uh, he was part of the Milos Raonic coaching team early on, um, Galo Blanco. But I remember watching this match courtside and thinking that Tim looked as almost as clueless as I do on a clay court in terms of just general coordination. He didn't know whether to stand at the back and try and loop these balls back and forth, or whether to do what he normally does. And and he got beaten heavily in straight sets. And suddenly, you know, six years later, it's not suddenly, but six years later, he'd he'd adapted his style and and was beating very very good clay quarters to get to the semi-finals of the French Open and, and not being well, too was far argu- away. Arguably, the closest he came to winning a slam. It was the most in fact, uplifting. I would say that probably was the closest he came to winning a slam. He was, what what was he a set and four one? Yeah. Against Guillermo Correa, had he won that, he'd have had uh, Gaston Gaudio in the final. Yeah. I mean, he was playing sensational tennis. So I, I wonder whether I mean, you can. Year, I, wonder, I wonder whether Evans, if he were to commit to it and actually say, all right, well, I'm going to just keep having a go at this, um, but playing my way, I wonder whether he could at least become more comfortable on it, you know? However, before we go too deep into this discussion, I mean, obviously he can become more comfortable. I would doubt whether he can complete the sort of transformation that Tim Hemmer did on clay. Of course, he can become more comfortable. I rather feel this um, discussion might be academic because will he commit to it, David? Will he? Well, I mean, <laughs> I just he, don't know. If he's going to stay he hasn't in the played top a 50, match on he's... clay since 2014, May 2014. He managed to go three years funny. without stepping onto clay. I have to say, <laughs> that is really impressive. He's on. I'm just looking at the Monte Carlo entry list. He's on it. <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing. Whilst he's in the top 50 in the world, he qualifies he for these sort of has to. tournaments, you know. Um, I mean, he hasn't got to play Monte Carlo. Just a little step back. I, I noticed as well that Kyrgios is on that entry list for Monte Carlo. And I'm just kind of thinking that at the moment, 
it might not be the worst thing in the world for him if he were to have a, a bit of a rest right now because it's a it's a lot of traveling a lot of work and I don't know what do you think yeah well, I mean it all depends on how he feels I don't know how he feels on it, it, it's yeah. it's six of one and a half dozen of the other isn't it because he's clearly on a roll at the moment he's clearly in the zone he's clearly enjoying his tennis enjoying working hard on his tennis and almost if if he stops the role it, it might be easier to to not fall back into bad habits that sounds really patronizing but you know sort of get into a different mindset you know fall into a different mindset so it might be easier just to to press on he always plays well in Madrid I think he enjoys the altitude there generally the sort of the less naturally um the player good players who are I suppose less naturally inclined to enjoy the clay tend to enjoy playing in Madrid because of the altitude because it it plays a bit differently to a normal clay court I suppose so he does usually play well there um so I'd I'd definitely expect him to play Madrid and Rome which of course are back-to-back that's pretty exhausting um his girlfriend is based in Miami isn't she so maybe he'll want to squeeze in some time there I don't know maybe maybe it all depends on how he feels and and uh, that's unknown. Tweet us, Nick. Tweet us and let us know how you're feeling. Yeah, because he's a definite David listener. David Law would love to know. Uh, actually, his brother's a listener. Hello, uh, Nick Kyrgios' brother. Um, but anyway. His name you've definitely just forgotten. Yeah, I think it's Chris, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Chris, I don't know. Chris, 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 Christos? Christos. Yeah, hello, Christos. Um, so anyway, you know. Hello. We're talking about your brother. <laughs> there we are. Uh, so what for a change? Uh, and Serbia beat Spain, David. They did before. Before we. Oh, hang on. While we're in France, if let's just do this geographically. Uh, Aliash Badene. Aliash Badene has won another absolutely cracking challenger event. And I know people listening are probably going, "Oh, challenger." You know, it, well, you know, what's the big deal winning another challenger? Well, he beat Benoit Pair in the final six two six two. So that probably tells you about the field at this challenger. It was played at um, Patrick Moritoglu's recently opened academy in the south of France, which sounds delightful. I've not been, but I'm sure I'm sure it's I'm sure it's um, a level of stylish and um, uh, lovely uh, commensurate with uh, Patrick's stylishness and loveliness. Um, and yeah, what a great week for him. And Andy Murray gave him the trophy. And I just feel so positive for him that he was doing something so positive. He could have been at home, head in hands, having a cry, watching the Davis Cup on the telly, um, just feeling terrible about the world, which I feel might have been what he'd have been doing this time last year, frankly. Um, and instead, he was in France, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres down the world, playing down the road, playing great tennis and receiving his winner's trophy from Andy Murray, who was out there um, completing a training block. I mean, I just think good for him. Good for him. It does show again. I mean, and you, you mentioned whether whether people might think, oh, just a challenger. These are tough tournaments to win. And these are often top 100 players or just outside the top 100 and and it, it is a bun fight trying to get points on the board and this is the second of those that, that Bedene's won and and he is such a loss to the British team in that they did not succeed with that appeal I think that they still harbour some hope of, 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 
appealing again and getting a more positive result next time. But just imagine if you'd have put him in that tie. I'm not saying it would have been a different result, but it certainly would have given Britain an option, a better option than they they had ultimately, because it's that depth, isn't it, that they lack. And Andy Murray, it sounds as though he's he's making progress. He's not there yet. He, I read some quotes today that he's he's still not serving as hard as he wants to be able to serve because of the elbow problem he's had. But at the moment, he's still on the Monte Carlo entry list. I would have guessed it would be probably touch and go as to whether he'll actually make it for that. Yeah, I would too. I mean, it's pleasing to hear that he's training again. Um, but yeah, it seems touch and go to me. What's he got now? I mean, he's got realistically probably five or six days now before he has to make make the decision. Um, uh, so, ugh. and I just don't see him taking any risks. He's got he's got a decent cushion rankings wise. Okay, he reached semis of Monte Carlo last year, but I don't think that's going to trouble him too much. I think I don't see him pl- taking any risks. He's playing that exhibition against in order Federer to today, play. Yeah, yeah, but that's you know. That's an exhibition. Yeah, no, it speaking, is. speaking of which, <laughs> we will talk about uh, Spain-Serbia in a minute. Just quickly, since you've mentioned exhibition tennis, the dead rubbers in that France-GB tie, it did make a bit of a mockery of dead rubbers, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, did, I can't say I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't wait around to Well, I mean, essentially it. one of them turned into a sort of Champions Tour-esque, well, sub-Champions Tour, really-esque, uh, exhibition match where Yannick Noah was on the court. There were three French players on the court at one at one point in singles. In singles, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, it. Three, I'm three, not exaggerating. Three it really, French players really against was. Evans. Yeah, and, and and Evans was playing along. And I mean, Noah, I think produces a, a an exhibition type environment, the likes of which you've never seen. Maybe Barami, but in terms of just sheer exhilaration. It is worth watching Yannick Noah putting on a show. Oh, look, but I, I'm not on that stage for the, for the fans. Uh, if I had been in that crowd, I'd rather have watched a, a jokey, charismatic exhibition involving Yannick Noah and Dan Evans than a, than a a atmosphereless, dull, dead rubber. But it does. I'm just saying it makes a more. You know, in, in at a time and in a climate where. The schedule is such a hot topic and reform of the Davis Cup in terms of the time and the energy that it takes out of the players. I mean, that was a completely wasted day for everyone, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. In a sport where days are at a premium. No, it, it was. And uh, and I mean, look, it it, it felt like... The, I, I don't have an answer. It felt like the way. right thing in, in, under the wrong circumstances in many ways, just because, yeah, because it, it is... You you would be better off just billing it as dead rubber day, meaning an exhibition, rather than because I mean that thing counted three against one and it counted, but uh, in terms of the actual scoreline, but uh, but Dan Evans ended up winning that. But no, I mean it, it 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 is one of those unsatisfactory elements of the Davis Cup, no question. Uh, Novak Djokovic was back in action uh, against Spain. We only saw him once because uh, Serbia was so dominant in their tie against Spain. They won uh, in, well, they only needed three rubbers. They didn't need the final day either. They had a, a match on their hands in the doubles, needed five sets to win that, Trojski and Zimanić to seal the tie. But before that, Trojski and Djokovic had both won their singles rubbers, rubbers in straight sets against Karenja Buster and Ramos Vanolas respectively um yeah 
uh, as convincing a Davis Cup victory as there could be. Okay, not a fully um, a, a, a fully replete Spanish side, some very notable absences, but nonetheless, um, Davis Cup is all about showing off your strength and depth, isn't it? They had a decent team, but crucially, I suppose, or I suppose actually not crucially in this tie, Serbia had Novak Djokovic, but it was very much a team effort on this occasion. And a good decision, I would say, from Novak Djokovic to play. Uh, not only because it helped Serbia get through, but I just feel that he needs to feel better about playing tennis again. And and I think that will have just cheered him up, quite honestly. And and, and I, I mean, it was the, the team environment winning the Davis Cup that, that was the launch pad for his 2011 season, it felt like. And, and I think that this is is a good move from Djokovic. I, I heard that he's planning to play the semi-finals no matter what happens uh, the rest of the year as well uh, with his singles career. And, and I think sometimes it can just do you the world of good. I think it did Andy Murray the world of good, didn't it? Winning the Davis Cup in 2015. And um, so, yeah, I think good decision. Yeah, I'd agree. We now have the prospect of semi-finals where looking at it, I would expect three of the four Sides, France is the only one with a question mark to field their very best players. We're going to see the national number ones for those teams. Injury permitting, fitness permitting. We are going to see David Goffin play for Belgium. We'll see Nick Kyrgios play for Australia. We will see Novak Djokovic play for Serbia. France, we know there's all sorts of weird things going on with France, with Gael Monfils in particular, and they have so many players that it's... And so many players sort of around about the same ranking as well that it's less of an issue with them. But that's good news for the Davis Cup, that we are going to see the top players from most of those nations competing in the semi-finals for me. Just quickly... Uh, before we move on to talk about the WTA events that are happening this year, Nick Kyrgios has been... I know we've talked about Nick Kyrgios a lot already, but we must mention the fact that he is selling his car on Facebook, David. Awesome. <laughs> you got to love that. He's selling his prize... Uh, he said it was his first car, a BMW of some description. Uh, he's selling it on Facebook, yeah. I, I, he, he's, I, I, he's open to offers, although I, not insulting offers. I particularly so, liked I, some of the uh, the exchanges he had with certain people. Who Somebody said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I've got $6,000 here. And he said, yeah, I'll send you the wing mirror, mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got to laugh. But anyway, yeah, Nick Kyrgios <laughs> uh, doing it his way. So if you are in the market for a used vintage... BMW, head over to Nick Kyrgios's Facebook and ga- grab yourself a bargain. I presume um, being based in the... Um, where's he based? Is he still based in Canberra or is he based in Melbourne in Australia? Wherever, whatever state uh, of uh, Australia he's based in, I'd imagine being uh, within driving distance of that is a fairly critical um, element to being eligible to buy that car or else you're going to have some pretty hefty shipping costs on your hand. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the WTA events that have been happening uh, this week in Monterey, the lovely, lovely Monterey, best um, best aquarium I've ever been to in Monterey, David. And I don't say that lightly because I love an aquarium and I've been to many, but the one in Monterey is truly breathtaking. 
uh, and in Charleston. Which would you like to talk about first, David? Well, given that you've already started on Monterey with your sort of lonely Well, only because I've not been to Charleston. I've heard great things. Apparently the food there is to die for. I've heard some some great things about what they do with melted cheese. But um, I've not been, I've not experienced it myself. What do they do with uh, melted cheese? <laughs> I just put it on everything, which sounds oh, great. Right. <laughs> Whereas I have been to Monterey and I have been to that aquarium and my mind was blown. So Monterey, <laughs> Kerber versus Pavlyuchenkova in the final. Shock horror. Pavlyuchenkova beat Kerber. How much do we read into this in terms of the um, Kerber narrative that we've got going on? Uh, is it a great week because she reached a final or was it a not quite great week because she lost to Pavlyuchenkova in the final? Yeah, difficult one, isn't it? I mean, look, I, I look at it as a good week. She's got to the final and she's 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 punched the clock and kept going forwards. And Pavlyuchenkova is somebody who, when she's on can take the play away from you no matter who you are so i'm still surprised i didn't see that match it was uh, it was it was overnight our time um but i was sort of following it vaguely on twitter just before going to bed and and saw that pavlichenkova was 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 getting back into it and um and and really you know she she can hit the ball pretty much as hard as anybody and so if she's middling it she, you know that that can be problems for someone like Kerber, who who hasn't always had the best clay court results. She does really well in Stuttgart, which we'll have in a few weeks' time, and that's about about it, really. So, I don't know. I, I wouldn't read too much, certainly anything really negative into that result from a Kerber perspective. But the only thing you would say is world number ones don't tend to lose finals very often. That that's the only thing I would say is that I think Kerber. I I just don't see her producing. At any stage this year, the, the the sort of tennis she produced last year, I, I, I think that was... Pr- Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Probably a bit of a one-off year-wise. 
Uh, in Charleston, David, home of the, the melted cheese and other uh, culinary delights, uh, Daria Kazakina, I know a favourite of yours, a favourite of everyone's, really, uh, has been busy winning her first title and crying uh, and it was all very emotional and heartwarming and she's great, isn't she? She's just great. She is. I should just say, I've just been talking about Monterey as though it was a clay court tournament, but it wasn't, of course. It was Charleston that was the clay court tournament. Uh, but anyway, Kerber did well, I thought, to get to that final. In Charleston... I, you, you could have been... Uh- Sorry, you could have been forgiven for thinking Charleston wasn't a clay court tournament because on the telly and all the clips, it looks like, I mean, it looks grey, doesn't it? Apparently it is green clay, yeah, but it looks grey. Yeah, it's the least the... Uh, attractive looking of all the, the the options, really, I think, out there. Uh, I, I, I'd like to have blue clay back if anybody's listening, if anybody fancies. You and Roger Federer both, yeah. David. Let's stick down a blue clay court in Charleston is what I say, and a, and a couple of other areas would be nice too, I think. But anyway, Charleston, I saw some of that final um you couldn't get two more different players in terms of personality i don't think than daria kasatkina who seems just delightful and a real a real breath of fresh air both in terms of the way she plays the sport and the way she reacted to her win she was in floods of tears after winning her first title she meant so much to her she obviously played very well she's a very She's a very clever player, very thoughtful player. She actually plays tactically. She just doesn't just belt the ball. And I, I find her a joy to watch. I really do. I love watching her. Somebody I read last night compared her style-wise to, to Martina Hingis. And I can see that comparison. There's a, there's a lot going on there uh, in terms of the way she plays. Uh, Yelena Ostapenko is, is an incredible ball striker. But she is so impetuous and so frustrating to watch at times because you never know quite what is going to come next. And she's stroppy and she was not happy at losing. And she said in her post-match well, speech, you know, I'm, I am I played my worst match of the week. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I mean, I sort of love that because you know that probably most of the time that's what players really want to say in their runners-up speech. And what a horribly painful thing it is that runners up usually when you lose a tennis match unless it's a final you get to walk off the court and do whatever you want in the privacy of the locker room if it's a final which is when it's going to hurt the most you have to sit there on the court not and and experience all of your emotions in front of everyone and give a speech and watch the person that's just beaten you being as happy as larry it's tough and elena ostapenko is young and Yes, I doubt she'll make that mistake again. Uh, I'm sure she'd have been told off by various people, including Elena Vesnina, who tweeted, what a speech uh, from Daria Kazakina. Can't say the same about her opponent, uh, which probably reflects the feelings of most people. But look, she's young. She was in the moment. She was being honest. I've got quite a lot of sympathy uh, for Elena. Oh, come on. We need more of that. We need more, more of just people just saying, I'm really annoyed. I'm really annoyed. I've played rubbish. Uh, I'd have beaten her no problem had I been at my best. And, you know, sorry, Daria, just deal with it. That would have happened. It didn't. Federer sometimes does it, doesn't he? In his Federer-esque way, he says, uh, congratulations, Rafa, on a great match. I was just too good today. (laughs) I love that. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. Daria Kazakina is good news all around. Uh, I think Elena Ostapenko generally is good news. Uh, but yeah, she can 
she can be brilliant or she can be um, a bit horrifying. But it's two players with watch, great facial it? expressions. You know exactly what is going on at every moment with those two. I like that. Yeah, I'd agree with everything, David. Dario Kazakina, good news for the sport. Yelena Ostapenko for me, also good news for the sport. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it was those two being in the final together. Good news. And I think Dario Kazakina winning and how much it meant to her, all the rest of it. It's all good news. Uh, it now. is good news. Yeah. And no, I, I was I was delighted. But uh, um, I, I would say that there is one issue, isn't there, in that although I was able to watch that on BT Sport uh, over here in the UK, not everywhere has access to the WTA circuit at the moment, do they? No. Uh, for for those that don't know, I'm sure lots of the sort of real tennis geeks out there will know, but you can be forgiven perhaps for not knowing. Tennis TV, the online viewing streaming platform for tennis, used to be ATP and WTA. As of 2017, it only shows ATP matches. The WTA has is, is with, withdrawn their deal. I, I don't know the details of how it came about, but the WTA tour is no longer available on tennis tv and they haven't as yet set up their own separate streaming service so tennis fans wta fans don't have the choice of any old wta match they want to watch if they don't happen to have a broadcaster available to them in their country that is showing the match that they want to watch there is no other alternative available much to the chagrin of Tennis fans, WTA fans, media in particular are really up in arms about it. Steve Simon, CEO of WTA, says there are plans to put their own streaming platform in place, but it's unlikely to happen before uh, autumn of this year at the very earliest by the sounds of it. To me, it sounds like it's going to be 2018 realistically uh, before anything's in place. And that is just, I mean, it's 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 not a it's not great is it it's just not great it's a backward step you've gone from every match being available to sometimes there being a tennis match on that depending on what country you're in feels like you know it's happening in a black hole you literally cannot watch it which we're so used to having everything at our fingertips now anytime we want it aren't we with netflix and amazon and and tennis tv and all the rest of it you expect to just somehow whether you have to pay or not being able to find the match you want to watch and sometimes it is literally not possible to watch these tennis matches they're sort of happening in a vacuum and we have the same problem with the davis cup at the moment because they used to have an option of streaming on on the daviscup.com website and i think probably since the uh, the deal with i think it's being sports now owns the, the tv rights for the davis cup and that is no longer available in that form like yourself i'm not 100 percent sure what happened with tennis tv but i remember Steve Simon doing an interview with Ben Rothenberg at the start of the year or late last year and saying that certainly for the first quarter of this year it would it, we would be unlikely to have any streaming option uh, of WTA of the WTA circuit well as you say now we're looking at the third quarter maybe the fourth quarter getting some of it maybe not even this year at all and in this era where as you say everything is available pretty much everywhere else that, that that is a big blow, uh, and it's it's not really good enough. No, I agree, it's not really good enough, and and, and I think they realise it's not really good enough, but they don't have an answer yet. They can't say we know it's not good enough, but don't worry, it, it, you know, we'll have something in place by this date. They're not obviously not yet in a position 
to be able to say that as much as they desperately want to. So um, watch this space. On the subject of other um, controversial and interesting talking points relating to the WTA, Mary Carrillo, uh, who, a former tennis player, broadcast with the Tennis Channel, for me, one of, if not the best tennis broadcaster around today. I think she is magnificent in every way. She has done um, a very entertaining, very interesting, very edgy uh, not that you'd expect anything less from Mary Carrillo. Very edgy interview with Steve Simon, CEO of the WTA for Tennis Channel. It's available on the Tennis Channel website uh, if you didn't see it. Uh, and I, I would recommend you take a look. Uh, she did not shy away from the big topics, did she? And uh, it was, wasn't was an easy watch, David, is what I would say about it. I mean, it it was fascinating and it was an important interview I think but not an easy watch for fans of tennis and women's tennis in particular obviously. Yeah well it touched on the on-court coaching that we've been debating. Mary Carrillo is is not a fan in any way shape or form. She is very strong in the opinion that it just looks bad for women um, and women's tennis generally to have men coming onto the court or anybody coming onto the court and and, and having the sort of conversation whereby they are saying it's going to be okay and don't worry and all this sort of thing rather than anything specifically tactical. Obviously, you raised uh, the point about the Darren Cahill one uh, from from last week uh, against Joe Conta. She also touched on the subject of grunting. And in truth, I felt as though Steve Simon didn't really have reasoning and answers behind uh, the the stance that, that he and the WTA we're taking on the various issues. One is that the coaching and on-court coaching was going to carry on. Um, personally, and, and, and Mary Carrillo used the examples of the Williams sisters and how good she thought it was that um, the Williams sisters did not use on-court coaching and that everybody else does. She, she felt it, isn't it, it's, a, it's a bad look that they don't do it and everybody else does. Um, my view is that difference is is good, and I have no problem with having that facility there. The fact that they don't use it, great. I have no problem with that either. Um, we we discussed it in depth last week on the subject of the the grunting. Steve Simon was making the point that there is uh, the impeding your opponent rule, um, but um, the fact is that there is no obvious solution to what to do about on-court coaching. I mean, I would I would say that, that maybe an umpire could take that on themselves at some point or at a certain measurement to say, all right, that's it. That's enough now. That's too much. I, I don't know. What do you think? I think that that interview and what was interesting about it wasn't necessarily about the specifics of the issues. I happened to disagree with Mary Carrillo on both the main uh, points that she raised on on on-court coaching and on grunting. I very strongly disagree with her. I found her arguments very compelling and and coherent, uh, exactly as you'd expect, but I I just disagree with her. I've made my arguments about on-court coaching. I think she has a very good point, one that we didn't raise about the fact that they're not tactical enough. Too often it's just sort of an arm around the shoulder and it's a bit wafty and, and perhaps that needs to be looked at Look, the the um, my argument, I, I think it's very similar to yours, still stands that on-court coaching is a good thing. It just needs some reform and some real thought 
to go into it. Um, I, I don't accept the argument that it's a bad thing that I mean, sorry, it is a bad thing that the ATP and the Grand Slams don't do it. But I see that as the WTA leading the way. And again, I think there's some sexism in the way that's perceived. I think if the ATP were doing it and the WTA weren't, it would be seen as, you know, the ATP making this bold decision to lead the way in tennis rather than the way it's sort of looked at in women's tennis, which is, oh, how pathetic that they're doing it and the ATP, you know, don't need to. Um, uh, With the grunting, for me... That is not an issue at all. And again, I think it's perceived, it's impossible to disentangle it from the sort of sexist climate and the sexist um, sort of atmosphere in which it's it's viewed. I mean, a lot uh, uh, grunting in men's tennis is a thing as well. And nobody talks about it. It's this, you know, women should be seen and not heard. And it's sort of unladylike for women to grunt in a way that you know for for men it's fine because it's just showing sort of how athletic and masculine and how much effort they're putting in I completely accept that you know the sound of grunting is not necessarily pleasant for people to hear but the fact that it women's tennis gets so assaulted with it all the time as a negative I think it's impossible to detach that from a generally sexist climate um, and look, I, I don't happen to be particularly irritated by it. I sort of am able to zone it out. I realise that some people are more irritated than it, by it than others. What was most interesting for me about the interview was Steve Simon's failure to... Uh, as it happened, I agreed with Steve Simon and the WTA's position on those two issues, and yet he did such a poor job of defending the WTA's stance, defending and explaining his and the WTA's stance on those issues. You know, Mary Carrillo was so eloquent and so punchy and so coherent in explaining her reasoning Uh, for how she felt about those issues. As I say, I disagreed with her and I agreed with Steve Simon and yet he had nothing. He just sort of um, meekly sort of... I don't know what he did, really. He didn't even... It was sort of politician diplomacy stuff, but not even that great diplomacy. You know, there are issues that I very strongly disagree with Steve Simon's stance on. The Sharapova situation... Um, and various statements that he've, he's put out is one of them that didn't come up in that interview. I was sort of, I wanted to shake him and go, explain it better, Steve, explain it better, because this is your chance. And he just sort of wanted it to be over and for the onslaught of questions to end. The only thing and I would say that's is... That's not good enough, it, really. I, mean, I, I only saw a three or four minute edit of that interview. I'd quite like to see the uncut version. Um, and and I wondered whether some of the edits were were making it look worse than it was. But but no, I mean, the, the overriding feeling was that, come on, Steve, you could you could give proper answers and better answers to this. You, you don't need to just be taking this because there are some answers that... that that one could come up with. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. There, there are answers there. I, I, I'm sure there's great thought and logic behind the stance that the WTA takes on these issues. And all he needed to do was, you know, really coherently and strongly 
explain that. Plenty would still disagree with him. I'm sure he wouldn't persuade Mary Carrillo on those points. But, I, you know, she's um, a person of so much integrity. She would have accepted a, a, a good, strong, robust defence, I think. And it just... It wasn't there. And that, that for me, was a little bit worrying. But as you say, I'm in the same position. I've only seen the edit. It's possible that it was edited for a bit of effect because certainly it was entertaining in, you know, Mary Carrillo was not not for turning, was she? She wasn't going to back down. She had so much integrity in that interview. I really, I really found it impressive. But, uh, yeah, no resolution, I don't think, to... Uh, or, or, yeah... Uh, an, an unsatisfying level of um, unresolved issues, I think, um, resulting from that interview. What else have we got? I know you wanted to mention Henry Conton and David because we probably should have mentioned him last week, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, he just just in as much as he's uh, just become world number one doubles player and is somebody who doesn't get a lot of attention. Doubles generally doesn't get that much attention certainly not as much as it should do and we're as guilty of that as anybody you know just i'm afraid it just does tend to 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 fly below the radar a lot of the time but you know he he's somebody who with john Pierce, they won the the atp tour finals last year they won the australian open at the start of this year he was unable to carry on or decided not to carry on a singles career because of of his physical frailing frailty really and an inability to 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 stand up to the rigors of the sport and he went doubles only um and uh, and here he is at world number one from finland and uh and, and it's, a, it's a fantastic story for him he's a, he's a he's a really exciting doubles player to watch so dynamic um so congratulations to him just wanted to touch on that uh, yep. Yeah, likewise, congratulations, Henry Conton. You got anything else, David? Any other business? Um, well, I have one other thing here, which uh, was brought to my attention by a listener, which was just about the clay court season, which is upcoming, and uh, and whether we think there will be any big breakthrough. Political Rat at Tennis Podcast wants to know any big breakthrough this clay season, or do you want to give it a week, Catherine, to wait for the Monte Carlo preview? Um, well, we can, we can talk about it again. Any big breakthrough in terms of a specific player? Yeah. I mean, t- I tell you what, I think, right, that both Kyrgios and Zverev have the ability to transfer their games onto clay and get a big result this spring. And, and what I mean by that is to is to make a final of a Masters series, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a particularly bold prediction, David. But, OK. Um, I wouldn't call... Let's hear um, yours, then. Oh, I don't, oh, you've got me on the spot. You've had more time with this. This was not on the agenda that you sent me. I have been... Um... Right, well, I'll give you one week to come up with a bold prediction that's, okay. frankly, more bold than the one I just came up with. I mean, there's very reaching a Masters final on clay. That that would be... I mean, it's only a matter of time. He is going to do that quite soon. So I don't think it's bold in that respect, but I suppose... Well, how many... He hasn't Carly done it Madrid yet, has he? Rome would be quite a big deal. Sorry? He's a teenager and he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm giving, but I don't think Kyrgios reaching a Masters final. I mean, uh, he really, he should be reaching lots of Masters finals. I expect on clay, to do it I mean, how, how many people are able to transfer that skill on from surface to surface? Yeah, but we've already seen it from Kyrgios. I've, to, uh, I've said how well he plays in Madrid. I think he could very easily reach the Madrid final. And also, he did, with that serve. Does it really matter what surface that serve is coming at you on? Boris Becker had a good serve, and Andy Roddick. How did they do on clay? <sighs> I think I've just won. <laughs> I will think about it, David. Okay. 
I will think about it and get back to you next week. Lovely. How's that? Lovely. You played tennis this week? You playing tennis in the, over the next few days? Or? Haven't played tennis this week. My brother's had an exam to revise for, and uh, I seem to have no other people in my life willing to play tennis with me. So. I'll take you off. <laughs> so, <laughs> no thanks. Well, I mean, you're in Birmingham, so that's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> no thanks is my answer. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah but I think we'll be playing we'll be having some Easter tennis Easter tennis this week excellent how about you excellent any tennis in the offing no none none at all no I just watch you're getting that much needed practice in then I I will do though Uh, by the time we play our match I'll tell you I'll be ready We've already played our match, David, and I won. This has been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. I love presenting this thing because I can just, you know, finish on whatever note I like. We have been The Tennis Podcast. It has been a pleasure, mostly, (laughs) to broadcast to you this week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And we'll be back in a week's time. 